Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace, and along with my co-host, Jack Humphrey, we are the co-founders of TheLeverages.com and Divisio.com. How are you today, Jack? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, and I think we have a guest on with us, but it's a surprise guest even to me. Who else do we have on the line with us today? Good morning. My name is Karen Solomon. Hello, Karen. I am so sorry, but Andrea, our executive show producer, dropped the ball and didn't get us a bio on you. Okay. So would you mind terribly telling us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about? I could, or if you wanted to pretend we're all prepared, you could jump on my website and read about me, or do you want me to read about me? Well, Jack, why don't you jump to Karen's website? She will tell you the URL right now. It's it's um, successappeal.com, which is my business name. Success, just like it sounds, appeal.com. Yeah, I'm Karen Solomon, and um, if he wants to go to the About page, or I can, whatever, I was... I was kind of prepared to be introduced. Um, let's see. <laughs> I'm so funny. sorry. I don't no, know why Andrea dropped the ball. She doesn't do that very often. I think she had somebody cancel because she called me last night late. So. Oh, I bet she did because she did have guests lined up for the whole month of February. I am right. She's really good because I do them. other shows for her, so she's usually really good. So we'll we'll, we'll give her this she one. She is. So yep, where are you guys yep. located? <laughs> I'm down in Fort Myers, Florida, and Jack is in a little area called Richmond, Indiana. It's around Indianapolis. And how about you? I'm in San Diego County, San Diego, California, originally from Boston, and um, I lived in the Bay Area, San Francisco area, for over three decades. Oh, wow. um, Yeah, and I decided to be warmer. I know that's sort of obnoxious for people who um, live in cold places. But you're in Florida, so you understand. We're cold in San Diego. I'm sitting here all bundled up. Hey, I'm from Chicago, so trust me, I get it. I decided to be warmer, too. would never go back to Chicago. I love my 80-degree winter days. I understand. Well, I'm in San Diego now because even San Francisco got too cold, especially in the summer, as you have heard a million times. Yes, Absolutely. yeah, being from Boston, I went to school in in northern Vermont, and then I visited San Francisco one Christmas break when I was a school teacher, and I thought, I'm jogging, and it was raining, but it was green. It was 60 degrees, and I thought, there's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> when I had to get it back on a plane to go back to Vermont, I thought, no, I can't do this anymore. So I moved west, and then I couldn't figure out how to leave conscious California, haha. So I just came south. And, um, oh, that's awesome. Um, Jack, did you want to introduce me or should I? You can go ahead uh, or I can do it. It's up to you. I think I found the page, so okay. it's, it's totally up to you. Um, why don't you say a few, why don't you read that and okay. then I'll fill it okay. in. I think that probably would be best. All right. Karen's genuine warmth, curiosity, and enthusiasm inspire her clients students and friends to play a bigger game in life and have a blast along the way. After helping them get clear about the irresistible life they desire, she teaches them how to ask for what they want and go out and get it. She's committed to helping people create the relationship they have always wanted, either inside their current one or when manifesting a brand new one. Karen is down to earth and empathetic with a disarming sense of humor that invites participation. She walks a fine line between being appropriate and outrageous which opens doors and gets her connected. I like this already. With an eye for design and a unique sense of style, Karen serves others by upgrading their images and enhancing their self-esteem with her fun and friendly approach to image and lifestyle makeovers. How's that, Karen, for an official welcome to Leverage Masters? Thank you. 
You know, I call myself a life, love, and style strategist. And why I call myself that is, um, well, I'm a school teacher by trade. So, and would you, I'm not sure of the format of your show. Would you like me to just talk a little about my background or what works best Absolutely. for you? Absolutely. That was my next question. <laughs> okay. So, Ever since I was about three, and I had a one-year-old sister, and I think I just learned how to tie my shoes, and as you guys just might know, because I think you're both over 25, um, we didn't have Velcro then to tie shoes. We actually had to learn how to tie our shoes. And I remember thinking it was a very helpful thing to do. It was helpful thing to know, so I tried to teach my one-year-old sister how to tie her shoes, and I don't think it worked very well. But on the other hand, what I realized in that moment, and every time we played school moving forward, I had to be the teacher. So fast forward, I became, you know, I worked I worked at summer camps and worked with little kids, but really I became a school teacher. So I was I was credentialed to teach and taught middle school back in Vermont after going to the University of Vermont. But then I moved west. I was laid off from my teaching career anyway, and a girlfriend and I looked at each other and said, let's do a Thelma and Louise, and got on my brand new little Mazda and made our way across the country over six and a half weeks. And we landed in San Francisco, which had been the plan. And I started to, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. It would have required getting a California credential, which meant going back to school at that point, which I wasn't ready to do. So I just started making it up and having all kinds of experiences. But one of the experiences I had early on was I found myself immersed in a world called learning everything you didn't know you didn't know, meaning I was in the personal Hmm. development world and taking seminars and learning all kinds of stuff about relationship and, um, and just, you know, and how to communicate stuff that I didn't know I didn't know. And it was the most extraordinary that was my schooling and so back in the 80s I think I I found myself well gee I got to make some money it's nice to go learn things and I started selling computer systems because I was near Silicon Valley after all I was in the in the city but I started selling computer systems and I realized what I liked about selling computer systems was the people I didn't like knowing all that stuff about the widgets I'm smart I could figure it out but that wasn't what was fun but then one day, one of my clients and I became, I think we dated once, and then we just became super good friends. And he was a great-looking guy with a horrible wardrobe. And I grew up with my mom as an artist and an interior designer. And I looked at him and I said, may I please take you shopping? You just, you just, you're so handsome and you just look ridiculous. Fast forward, he said, next paycheck. <laughs> I took him shopping. And he said, listen, you got to come back with me. And just like when a kid goes to camp and you mark A goes with A, he said, you got to say what goes with everything because I am extremely colorblind and have been ridiculed my whole life for things not matching, which was part of the problem, right? So I said, okay. Well, I told him what went with what. And there were no cell phones in those days to take photos to show him the outfits, right? (laughs) I had to just write everything down. And this is 1986, and off he went back east for a business and family vi- business trip and family visit. And he flew back from that trip and took this 20-something out for the nicest dinner she'd ever been taken out to in San Francisco, and said that was an amazing experience. Everybody thought I won the lottery. Well, I hung a shingle and became an image consultant. And back in the mid 80s, it wasn't really a career yet. It was, you know, for all the media people and for um, you know, the movie stars and stuff, and they had stylists. But it wasn't, image consulting wasn't really a career, but I just decided I'd be one. So that's what I've been doing since then with a whole lot of twists and turns. So I was doing that. Remember when everybody actually wore suits and jackets to work, the guys? But then it became dressed down Friday in the 80s. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Particularly I mean, no, I'm under... I'm under 25. I I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, huh? oh I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> I wouldn't want to date you or anything. Wait a minute. I could have sworn when I saw your picture you were 32. But anyway, so I um I just started dressing people and I had asked him at that point, you know, what would you what would you have paid me to do that service? And mind you, this is 86. He said 50 bucks an hour. I said, "Thank you." So that's what I started telling people I I charged, which was a heck of a lot more than most people, you know, made if they weren't doctor, you know, if they weren't 
PhDs or MDs or whatever in those days. So I hung a shingle and started doing image consulting. So I've always really, since my first lemonade stand in second grade, I've just always been entrepreneurial. So that's what I've been doing for a very long time. But then in the early 90s, I told you I was really into the personal development world. Well, in the early 90s, a guy friend of mine said, you know, I need a plus one to go to this introductory thing. Would you, I need a woman to come with me or I can't go. They, do, they say it's gender balance, so I have to bring a woman. Would you come? I said, what is it? He said, I don't know, something about relationship. Always game to learn what I don't know. What, you know just always a edu- uh, student. I went with him to this thing, and I found myself learning about intimacy in a way that was more intimate than having slept with people in the 70s or having had a boyfriend. It was so intimate, looking in people's eyes and standing a little closer than was really handshake comfortable. And I realized that there was a whole lot about intimacy I didn't know and that, wow, I had kind of a mixture of joy, not kind of, I had a really big mixture of joy and grief, joy at what might be possible with intimacy and grief at what I hadn't experienced. And at this point, I was 35 and still single. So fast forward, I dove into working with this little group. I didn't have a whole lot of money in those days. And I dove into working with this little group and thought, I'll be your marketing person. If I like something, I can sell it. And so I started to you know, fill their little groups and, and learn more and more about intimacy and relating and communication. And that started me on a quest to learn as much as I could about relationship and sensuality and the differences between men and women and sexuality. And I found myself studying with many different teachers who teach Tantra intimacy and who teach there's a school in Northern California called used to be an accredited university called Moore University about relationship and communication and sexuality. And I just dove into that world and two years into it and I had decided to wouldn't it be fun to meet a man who's as interested in this field of study as me and lo and behold, I met my now former best husband slash best friend. Wait a minute, let me study it again. My former husband slash best friend, Billy, we met in that world. And together we were able to do a whole lot of more education. So then when I found myself um, living in a beautiful home in Sonoma County, we were... Um, Retired, he'd done very well in high tech. And a friend of mine's daughter said to me, um, she was 21, just graduated Stanford, and she said, you're really easy to talk to about relationship stuff. Can I spend some time with you? And I I said, yeah. And my little school teacher hat got put on, and I thought, why don't you bring your friends? And so I created a workshop for these young women. I thought, what do they need to know about relationship? They were brilliant Stanford grads going on to grad school, but they knew really nothing about the man-woman conversation. They didn't, didn't know anything. They'd had failed relationships. They were, you know, didn't feel like the men always asked for consent. It was a rough, it was a rough one. This was in 2001. And so I thought they need to know about men and the differences between men and women. They need to know about intimacy and everything about sex and how to know what they liked and how to ask for what they liked. And they need to know about money, which for me stands for all lifestyle choices and um, value systems. So I called it Men, Sex, and Money for Women. And I had these beautiful young women with me, brilliant young women, for, for, um, from a Friday at 6 until a Sunday at 6. A beautiful home in the country, and they all stayed with me, and we cooked together, and they took hot tubs and went swimming. And we just had an amazing weekend of me basically sharing what I'd been privileged to learn from so many great teachers. Because, again, I'm a teacher, and I know how to take the information I know and teach it. So then that was in the early 2000s, and I've taught that course many times. But if we bring me right up to the present, I had to go back to work after we sold a home and things changed. I I think many people listening to this call will say, oh, 2008. Well, 2008 hit us pretty hard, and we sold our house, let's just say, at the wrong time. And we thought, hmm, okay, well, we need to shift our sales and go back to work. So... 
I moved down to San Diego where I could have a fresh start and where those of you back east and in Indiana don't feel at all sorry for me, but the Bay Area was a little cold at night and mornings, and I thought, I'm going to explore San Diego and be able to walk to the beach and actually be able to swim in water that is over 55 degrees, which I don't think it is in the Bay Area. So you just don't go swimming without a wetsuit there. So I moved myself to beautiful North County, San Diego in 2014, and I decided I would, well, I would do some of the image consulting. And since, by the way, I'd become a professional coach. But I thought, as I started to date, and I was in my late 50s at that time, I thought, oh, my God, these men who've been married sometimes once, twice, three times, they don't know anything about women. They're good guys. They've got their money act together. They've got their golf game. Their co-parenting might be doing well with their ex-wives. or But they really, or maybe they're widowed and they were married for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. They don't know anything about the dating game. They don't know anything about women. And they certainly, it was like, I was scratching my head going, oh, my God, I was so spoiled. Why did I leave that guy? And there's always reasons for everything. And as I said, we're best friends. But we were just, after almost two decades, we were just done being with the romantic part of our relationship. And many people can relate to divorce, I'm sure. So I decided to work with men. And I decided to work with high net worth men who didn't really want to be sugar daddies. We've all heard that term. And it's easy for a man, 40, 50, 60, to date a woman 5, 10, 15, 20 years their junior, depending what they offer. But most of the time, they probably didn't feel like they were meeting their equal. So I've created a program, and I work with mostly men now. And I work with men who are wonderful men but haven't really learned some of the arts of relationship. So I help them get more confidence from the bedroom to the boardroom. It's mostly through communication, and um, sometimes they'll have to meet me at Nordstrom's to start their contract with me. Sometimes <laughs> we do that at the end. But a lot of these men do dress well. But one guy hired me. Oh, my gosh. And then I want to be quiet and have you ask me questions. But <laughs> One guy had hired me. He was a great guy in his mid-30s, very, very, very geeky. And as you can probably picture exactly what he looked like being geeky. But he had money. He had a great career. And he really wanted to get married and have a kid. But I don't think women could see past the geekiness. So he wanted to become less shy and have me help him do his online dating profiles and, and kind of help him with the whole dating process and become overcome his shyness. And I said, I will not work with you unless you literally meet me at Nordstrom's. <laughs> and then, so in this case, Nordstrom's. It's not always Nordstrom's. But I knew that would be good for him. And we met there, got him a bunch of stuff, all his slacks and jeans were being tailored, but the next day at work he was wearing a new shirt and a new belt and new shoes, and he texted me and he said, oh, now I get it. Two of the guys at work said, dude, you're styling. And he was like, okay, I get it. I said, yeah, you don't want to be a disappearing act right out the door, right? So anyway, that's kind of a and – I, and I will tell you also, and you can see it on my website, I do have a couple of books and the book that I wrote to, that that I realized I was hardly washed up. And I wrote a book. Friends said, you should write a book. You know, you're starting over. You moved to a new place all by yourself. And you've made great new friends and created community. And you're dating. And, and you should write a book. So I wrote a book and audaciously called it Sexy, Sassy, and Starting Over. And it's recipes for sweet and savory life after divorce. And the recipes are metaphors. And that book's on Amazon, as is the Kindle. So, and I'll tell you later in the conversation about my other book. So, awesome. You know, there's so many things that stick out in in what you said. One, it's kind of my favorite topic to marvel at. Anyway, is that we put people on the moon. We've invented iPhones. Uh, we're worried about artificial intelligence taking over. Given that means, you know, that's pretty advanced stuff. We've done some amazing things as a species. It's really ironic how little we know in the basic areas of life. Like you meet people and you describe the the guys that, or any of the guys that are really super successful, they know a lot about what it took to get where they are to build companies or have the jobs that they have. Uh, And it's just weird to me that nothing else comes with that. I guess it's because of the tunnel vision you have to have or people assume you have to have or you just naturally do when you're really into something, you're building your career or whatever it might be, 
that some other things that other people <laughs> might assume are supposed to come a little bit easier um, or along with it would be there. But it seems like you find that that's not exactly true in your line of work. Exactly. And it's like, I don't know about you, but I think there was a sex education class in seventh grade. And I think I remember seeing a photo that included the word fallopian. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so there was, do you know what I mean? I remember going, what's a fallopian? Oh, fallopian too. Well, what is it? And I think I learned that in seventh grade. And then they showed They were, other they were related to the Philippines. Philistines, I think. Something like that, uh. exactly. But that's kind <laughs> yeah. of how we treat the education in that realm, right? But right. any, I mean, and so we learned, you know, kind of about the anatomical aspects of sexuality and how the birds and the bees and the babies, and you know, we learned a tiny bit. And then it was all about abstinence and whatever. But did we learn anything about what type of date would you want? And how do you ask a girl out? And would it be good to make eye contact? And do you keep the lights on or off? And when's it good to take it from friendship to hold hands? Or when do you go to a kiss? And when do you become romantic? What is romance? And so we were forced to learn it by default through parents, many of whom, especially in younger generations. I mean, when I was growing up, I think only two kids and you know, I'm older. I graduated high school in 74. And when when I was growing up, I think only two girls in my school were from divorced families. Now, it doesn't mean that the other families were necessarily great role models for a relationship, but divorce yeah. just wasn't as in vogue as it became. Certainly, I bet the statistic was, you know, 10 to 20% of people got divorced, not 50 to 60. You know, marriage was a different institution then. But my my point is, um, we just didn't learn what it took to stick it, to stay in there with relationship, or or I say to young women, you know, do you want to be a stay at home mom? And when were you planning to tell him that that your six figures is salary is going away? Because in this country, we don't have six month pregnancy leaves like in Europe. They have six month pregnancy leaves, you know. They have mm-hmm. a year if they want to go without salary, but they can still slip back into their job. I mean, it's a very different society. We get six weeks if we're lucky. So or a couple months, I think, maybe in Silicon Valley and some of the more Facebook-type companies. I remember my stepson who works for Facebook, he had a paternity leave. His wife went back to work, mm-hmm. and then he took two months off. It was, And that's what Facebook offers. But that's one of the hipper, cool companies, right? So, right. But anyway, I I agree with you, Jack. I mean, we did not learn that stuff. And that's why, because I got to learn it. And I'm pretty smart. I'm educated. I come from a family where my dad is a doctor and went to Harvard. And I certainly was educated and cultured. Lots of theater. I mean, I grew up in Boston. It's like, but what did I really learn about relationship? We had to stumble around in backseats of cars. And we joke about it, but... I think it's really sad. So that's part of what I do. I do a lot of pro bono work. I mentor young women quite a bit. I have two twenty-somethings who I work with, who I just hang with all the time and help them navigate their relationships. What do I tell them if I don't want such and such? Oh God, he wants to get married. I don't. How do I tell him? So I just teach communication stuff. Oh, you know, I mean, it can be approached from every angle too, like um, music and art. That always gets thrown to the back um, yep. because everybody's just struggling to live, and it goes all the way back to cavemen, right? That, so thing, again, that little that. it goes back to the cavemen days. Oh yeah. I think I would imagine that all we've done since we opened our eyes and realized we were human or Neanderthal or whatever we were is struggle to survive and yeah. putting food on the table or you know, discovering fire. And then, you know, there's that cooking thing that now needs to be done that didn't need to be done before. So we're twice as busy, but it's delicious. So people (laughs) are out hunting for food constantly and, you know, to survive. And everybody would have been too busy then. I think that's what's really funny about that old, um, uh, now would be considered totally sexist, but uh, cartoon of the caveman hitting the, woman over the head and dragging her, that was his level of relationship building <laughs> that he would have time for because it's too busy that back then. It was We've always been too damn busy, I think, well, to 
to do stuff about this. And it's, it's heartening to hear that people care enough to seek out people like you and go, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to become a student of this. I'm going to really do it. Maybe some of these guys come to you in panic mode. Oh, my clock's ticking. And, you know, but I like to think that they're doing it because they're that serious about building their businesses and they're that serious now. Um, they're going to do the same kind of thing with, with uh, relationships. So they seek you out. Well, and I like thinking that, you know, when I get on shows like yours and podcasts and, you know, I like thinking that there could be, because for me, frankly, it's all about making a difference in the way that I make a difference, like the way you make a difference with your show and you, that, you you know, you showcase various people with different kinds of talents and expertise so that other people can take advantage of that. And my wish is that there'll be people listening to this show, there could be one man who's, you know, he's wealthy, he's got all of that stuff going on, he's got a decent relationship with his adult children, maybe he's 48, maybe he's 58, maybe he's 68, but he's certainly got plenty of joie de vivre left, he's got a life, but he'd like to share it with a partner that he feels he's met by. He doesn't really want to go out with someone 25 years younger whose music he can't relate to. I mean, I watched the Grammy Awards the other night, did either of you watch those? And I, uh, yeah, I watched it. I, you know, I just don't anymore know. I, I was never a pop music fan, so I never but got Jack, satisfied. But Jack, that's my point. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, and even if I did, like if it was the if it was new young jazz musicians, I wouldn't know them either because the kinds that I listen to and everything. I mean, as young as I right. get, is Snarky Puppy, and you're never going to see them on any kind of Grammy. <laughs> you right. know, and so, but but we look out of curiosity, and and the whole time you're watching me, my wife and her, like, who are these people, and is this music? So right, well, you know, we're just telling people to get off our lawn. We're just old. Well, my point really was <laughs> was a lot of the country music people, and they're singing about their heartbreak. They're singing about their their what they're learning about. They're diving deep. You know, the movie. I mean, Lady Gaga. And um, Bradley Cooper won Best Song, of, New Song of the Year for um, Shallow, which was from A Star is Born, which if you saw the movie and the original one with Barbara Streisand so many years ago, I mean, that is a very beautiful love story and a super sad story with addiction mm-hmm. and all kinds of other things. Again, w- nobody has taught us or given us serious role models unless we got lucky and had really cool parents who loved each other. And so that's why I so appreciate my teachers who are saying it can be a different way. And it's almost like, you know, when you're raising your hand and a whole bunch of people are raising your hand and the person from the podium or the front of the room says you, and then you go, oh, my God, me. They just called on me. You know, and you look behind you and it really yeah. is you. And I feel like I truly have found my calling because at this age and stage of life, I'm, I'm really confident and I really know what I know. And I really want to share the wealth of what I know without these guys having to go seek out all the different teachers I've had the privilege of teaching with to learn each little piece. It's like I want to give them the salient point from each teacher and and just say, look, here's a great communication modality that works. And actually, can I throw out a tip? Would that work for you guys? Yes, absolutely. We're all about tips. Cool. Well, and I want to move to the image consulting in a second, too. Um, so if we want something, and this, ladies, listen up, any of you ladies who are listening to this, when men doubt themselves, any guy, whether it's a little boy or a business guy or a retired man, whatever age, men usually doubt themselves on something that they they're not producing well. They doubt that they're going to, you know, produce the perfect they're going to have the perfect job, get the right amount of money, give her the best orgasm she ever had, get the best bouquet of flowers for her. So, let's say he comes in with a really dumb-looking wilted bouquet of flowers, and they've been married a long time. If she's really wise, She's gonna, and she really knows that this guy loves her and brought her flowers. Instead of saying something like, "Oh God, those are daisies and they're wilted," and that is what some women will say. "Ooh, those are ugly," and they're just like, and then the, you know, the kid who's just the kid, the big kid, the forty-year-old kid, the fifty-year-old kid, will just feel like crushed and hurt, and probably never bring flowers again because he didn't do it right. Right? I'm kind of exaggerating, but still. Yeah. Instead, what if she says? Oh, 
Oh, my God, you are a doll. You were thinking about me when you were out today and you brought me flowers. I love you. And then, <laughs> hey, honey, I'm wondering if, would you like to know some of my favorite flowers? Can I, can I, can we go together to my favorite? You know, and very carefully invite him to get, like, okay, I'll, I'll give you my own example. My husband used to go to the supermarket and get those bouquets of flowers for me when we first met, and they were kind of horrible. And I'm a designer. My sister's a professional flower designer. My mother was an interior designer. Let's just say I know flowers, me in particular. Mm-hmm. And so finally, because I'm trained enough, and I'm using the word trained deliberately, I'm trained to have men win and to teach women how to have their men win with them, that I then one day I said to him, um, you know, no, he said, I, I, I asked him, why aren't you getting me flowers anymore? He said, he held his hands up. He said, because I know they're never going to be the right ones for you. And I went, oh, don't be silly. I love you to bring me flowers. And he said, well, what do I get? And I took him to my favorite flower store in town, introduced him, and said he might come get me flowers sometime. Do you know how great it was for him to go to that flower store? The woman knew me. She got made a beautiful bouquet that she knew I would love, and he brought it home beaming because he knew he got me something I would love, right? But we have right. to train each other about that. But my whole point when I started was to say, let me, let me not use flowers. It's too awkward. Um, let's say... I'm beginning to snuggle with somebody and and we're hoping that it's going to go to to making love. And he starts to scratch me, even if it's scratching me softly with his nails, and I freaking hate being scratched with my nails. And this happened with my husband (laughs) because he liked nails, okay? I'm not talking like nasty, just using nails. My husband was ticklish. He didn't like me when I touched him lightly. I liked being touched lightly. He liked me using my nails. So if he touched me with his nails absentmindedly, I hated it. It felt like fingers on a blackboard to me. So if I said, oh, you know I hate when you use your nails. I did it one time. You know what happened? He literally got up and he said, I'm going to go watch the game. And he went in the other room and watched the game. And I lost. I was like, oh, shoot, that didn't work. But when I could say to him, hey, honey, I'm so glad you wanted to spend time with me and that we're going to snuggle. Would you touch me a little bit softer without your nails? Thank you. There wasn't even a, we didn't even miss a beat because what did I do? I appreciated him first, right? And then I said, yeah. then I made a request. And then I said, thank you. A for appreciate, R for request, T for thank you. That's the tip. Your little kid pours his milk and misses the glass and gets it all over your brand new rug right when you have to run out the door. And so, you know, your immediate response is to get pissed off and want to smack them. Not really, but a a, a bad parent would, right? Instead, if you say, oh, that's so exciting. You're old enough to pour your own milk. Hey, shall we try it again into the glass this time? Awesome, (laughs) right? Yeah, but what I did you still was could I have been you still could have been talking about a husband and not a kid, but yes, it works in both worlds. <laughs> it works in all worlds to appreciate, yeah. and and it could also be your employee or your assistant. Mm-hmm. You know, they bring you a memo that's got twenty spelling errors in it or typos, and you look at it and you go, "Isn't that great that you got this done an hour earlier than you said you would?" Hey, would you go back and run it through spell check? Thanks. <laughs> Right? Yeah. In, instead of, what's wrong with you? This has 20 spelling errors. It seems like we're, we, we're built to optimize, but not really optimize, like small O optimize, not capital O. But So we were supposed to have flying cars and skateboards and rockets and everything by now, and they were going to be taking care of everything. And thank goodness we don't. Because we have personal assistance on our phones and we have all of these other efficiencies. And the only thing we seem to have done with it is take that time savings and pour it back into I can now do more. I can just optimize more. And I think we've, in this case, in relationships, we've optimized in a really, really poor way of just not thinking of these things. Because as you're saying them, I'm sure I've heard this before. And I'm sure I was supposed to be doing better at it at this stage than I am right now. And I feel like I've optimized that out. It's like you, and I'm trying to say, I don't want to use the word lazy, but it is also lazy. It's like, well, I've already got the girl, you know, or 
uh, I've already, you know, I'm going to take what I would usually spend time going and really fussing over Valentine's Day, and I'm going to optimize that and get some more work done because I'm, I'll be making more money. Well, how about so you? That would be good. Yeah, or or, use the word, <laughs> or, we could, or it'd be more efficient to just go to work and just give her a card that you got at Trader Joe's. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and and you got it at Trader Joe's because you saw the three guys in front of you with flowers, and you thought, oh, my God, it's Valentine's Day. I better get a card. Right. You weren't <laughs> even there to get it. You were there to get, like, bratwurst or something, and then all exactly. of a sudden, oh, But the, the cards the were at the checkout counter. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so what happens then, and then, we, and then you wonder why the sexual favors were not forthcoming anymore. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Because yeah. it goes both ways. And what she's forgotten to do, what she's forgotten to do is to tell you how great you are. And so what you've forgotten to do is to be great. <laughs> yeah. And so and so yeah. it's an interesting way. I mean, one of our teachers once looked at me and he said he said, you know, you're kind of uh you're kind of being an ugly bitch. And I was like, What? And he goes, I'm not talking hmm. about your looks. I'm like, What? It was so intense. He was a very intense teacher. But sometimes you learn the most from those guys, right? Like tough yeah. love type stuff. And my husband yeah, the whiplash music teacher. This is really powerful, actually. We were in Hawaii having this one-on-one course with this guy, and there were about 15 people watching us. And he goes, why is she so ugly? And my ex goes, uh, no. He says, because you don't pay any attention to her. Meanwhile, this is a very expensive course, and we're there together. So, you know, let's just say it's a high level of attention that he's talking about, okay? So my husband goes, well, what do you mean? He's, and the guy rolls his eyes. He goes, man, sh- your wife is sitting on the hardest seat in this room, and you haven't thought to offer her a pillow. So my ex immediately comes to attention and goes, where are the pillows? And I swear to God, Jack, you could lean down. And the, I mean, there were 15 toss pillows within reach of him. It was just, it was in Hawaii. It was this porch. It was filled with pillows, right? So his, it, was, it was a metaphor for not paying attention. Honey, are you comfortable, right? And so, and he looked at me and he goes, and you know what you need to do is pay more attention to him. You know, is to be nicer to him. If you're nicer to him, he'll pay more attention to you. And if you pay more attention to her, she'll be nicer. And you think about it, it's the cart before the horse before the cart, but somebody has to do something. And it, you said the word optimize. I'm going to say that it's like efficiency. We get so efficient that we stop paying attention to the details. You see teenagers sitting, sitting together. They're all on their phones. I caught myself on my phone with a friend the other day. We were both on our phone, and I looked at her, and I said, I'm putting my phone in airplane, airplane mode, turning off the ringer and putting it in my purse. Will you do the same? I've missed you, and I want to be with you. I mean... I'm like, oh my God, did that really just happen? And that, and we could call it optimize, or we could call it kind of like John Nesbitt wrote years ago, high tech, high touch. You know, we have so yeah. much tech doing our things for us that we think is optimizing, but what's happened is it's taken away some of the precious aspects. And I'm going to go into a more racy edge here. Women use vibrators, okay? Oh, I love my vibrator. Well, the reason women use vibrators, if they're single or whatever, it's because it does the job. It's efficient. It's optimized. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If women and men cared to really learn about their sensuality and learn how to be that for each other, I promise the more they learn, the less they want to be with their vibrator because the vibrator is so freaking efficient, it numbs them out. And I think I managed to get yeah. that point across without being too graphic. But I promise you. That's not my best friend. Once you start learning what you learn and once a man starts putting his attention enough and, and they're able to look in each other's eyes and say, honey, do you like this touch? Shall I do it more like this? Do you like it more firm, more soft? I'm talking about a neck massage to anything else massaged. We all like things differently. And just because your last girlfriend liked her feet massage doesn't mean your new one does. And it's it's just... You know, I like I might like sweet things. You might like salty things. I mean, it's all different. But if we don't choose to ask the questions of, what do you like? Do you like this? We just make assumptions. And another thing, I really like the term unexamined assumptions. And if we're not examining them, we think everybody's going to be like us and everybody's going to have an iPhone. 
Well, no, there's a whole bunch of the world that have droids. And I might be an iPhone snob, and I am, but it's not even snob. The truth is my friend with her fancy Android phone has a much better camera than my fancy eight iPhone 8S, right? It's like we all have yeah. our way of looking. Religion, politics, we all think we're right. But what about if we just choose to sit down and hear the other side? Yeah. It's easier to do when you realize you don't have any control over mass consciousness anyway. <laughs> like, or, 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 you know, I mean, it does get a lot easier, I've found, when uh, you can sit down and listen to another side of the day before you'd want to just strangle. But it's just really dependent upon your context, which is how all of life is. It is only right. dependent upon your context. There's nothing else you can do about everything right. else that happens around you. Right, and the I like that you brought up context, and that because it is about context, it's about what we learned, the churches we went to, the the um, belief systems that our parents imparted. That I mean, I remember in kindergarten going to somebody's house for lunch for my first time, and her mother buttered the hot dog bun before putting the ketchup on it, and I ran home because my mother didn't. Butter <laughs> I would the, too. <laughs> because my mother didn't butter the hot dog bun. It wasn't right. You know what I mean? You know what you know. Yeah. I don't know why that popped into my head, but it's so ridiculous. Well, it random. definitely wasn't right. You were right to run home. That, that oh, was a crazy house. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like it's like we learn what we learn, and we need to learn to be more open-minded, especially if we want our relationships to work, and to learn how to ask a woman what gives her pleasure. And also one of the things that I do, and I work with couples as well, and that's People, one couple came to me, and um, she she was in one of my women's workshops, and she came to me and she said, you know, can I bring my, if my boyfriend will agree to it, can I bring him to you? Will you help us break up kindly? I want to be in touch with his young kids because I've been with them four years, and I'm more I'm really important to them, and I'm afraid that he won't let me see them because we've been fighting so much. So they came to me. We did three sessions, three two-hour sessions, and all I did in the first session, I mean, they were um, you know, leaning out. They were wanting to kill each other. And all I did, I realized they couldn't remember why they were together. They were fighting so much. All they could find was the wrong. So I sat in front of her. I put a timer on my iPhone, haha, for three minutes, and I said, tell me what you appreciate about him. And I had her look at me, and I had him watch us. I said, tell me what do you appreciate about him. And she said something, and I said, thank you. Tell me what you appreciate about him. And I asked her that question for three solid minutes, Jack. And you know what? Three minutes. It's only three minutes, but it was probably 10 or 12 answers, right? You can ask a lot of questions of yeah. what do you appreciate about him. I looked to my right when, we, when the timer went off. He was in tears. He was crying after three minutes because he had forgotten. And then I went over to him and I said, three minutes. Tell me what you appreciate about her. And I did two rounds of that. And at the end of that, I said, okay, now we're going to talk about the harder stuff. But what I had just done for a total of 12 minutes, okay, maybe 15 with transition time, 15 minutes, they're already leaning in to each other. And I said, tell me something you need him to know. And she proceeded to say some of the tough stuff, like, I hate it when you blah, blah, blah. And then I did that for three minutes, and then it was his turn, and then her turn, and then his turn. And by the end of that 15-minute round trip, so to speak, it was unbelievable. What I had done was we had cleared the deck for them to be, speak civilly and start to talking about more about really what was going on. Because if they said they would take out the garbage, you got stuck in traffic, and you got home, and your parents came before the garbage was taken out, and it was spilling all over the place, even though he had a good excuse with quotation marks because there was a big accident and he couldn't get home, he still gave you his word that he was going to take out the garbage. And you need to have it be okay to be mad at that, even though he had a quote-unquote good excuse. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. if you don't have the opportunity to say, gosh darn it, you promised, and it pissed me off. If you can't say that, it's going to start eating away and become a chip on your shoulder. So that, you know, you end up, they end up breaking up and you find out, do you believe it? They broke up because he was 15 minutes late. 
No, they didn't break up because he was 15 minutes late. They broke up because time and time and time again, he gave her his word and didn't do it, and she couldn't trust him anymore. And that was the last straw, whatever it was. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And it it's just like if we can learn how to speak civilly, and I know that even though I come from this educated family and I learned what I learned and my parents were reasonably good communicators, um, they didn't divorce. My mom died fairly young, but they didn't divorce. They were they were decent communicators. But I didn't learn this stuff. I had to go to different schools and learn it. So I invite us all to look to look into the stuff that we don't know. We don't know. So. Yeah. Right. I mean, we did that for a significant part of our lives in school, and then it just seems like that all just drops off. And the only thing that that happens usually for people after that is they've got to take a new certification for WordPress or something for exactly. for work. And, you know, and that's not the same thing. And it's certainly not seeking it out yourself. I mean, it might not, it might be something you don't know, but it doesn't mean that it has to be something you're not interested in. It should be something you're interested in, right? Right. And for me, I was the most interested in human relationships, they're fascinating to me. Even you and me talking right now, it's an interesting conversation, right? We're talking about real stuff, and we're talking about things that, and all your all your um, interviewees who come on, I was looking through on your website and going, whoa, and, that, you know, Amy, um, what's her name? Amy Podcast, listen to me. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, you've had some luminaries, and all of them have different expertise to teach and different things we can all learn from each other. And, and, I don't necessarily want to go become a meditation teacher, but how great that there are meditation teachers where I can go learn to meditate. Not everybody has to take every course I took. But what I can do is say, listen, let me give you the salient points from this teacher or that teacher. And then if you want to learn more about this, read this book or go study or take your wife and go learn more about sensuality from these teachers. I mean, because I know the resources for them. And it's, it's just a fascinating field of play you know it's like everybody has different things they're into you know have you ever gone to meetup.com you know the meetup platform right yeah i mean i offer meetups but on relationship communication stuff i call it relationship real talk but there's like the chihuahua owners walking groups of san diego county meetups (laughs) i mean it's like huh you literally put in any keyword and you're like okay seriously those people collect what I mean, whatever, whatever rocks yeah. your boat, right? Floats your boat. But people um, who, who who butter their hot dog buns. It's really That's, wrong. I know, and I know it was yeah. a really long time ago. But um, can I just mention a couple of other you were things? scarred? I I just want to honor that you were scarred, and and <laughs> that was a thing. You know, let's hold this space. <laughs> I can literally remember the, the 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 kitchen and my horror, and I just said, I have to go home, and I literally ran home, because in those days, it all said your mother didn't have to walk you a block. You could actually, it was safe, in the in the 60s, it was actually safe to run home. Yes. <laughs> for me, I don't know when you were born, but for me, I know, I was I was up and about in the 60s, so, um, and I just want to say, I'm kind of outrageous. I'm staring at my other book. And if you look on my website, which is successappeal.com, you'll see that you can get to my books. And one of my books is called Hitchhiking to Kathmandu. It's my overland odyssey in 1974. And when I graduated from a little hippie high school, I was in love with a boy who had been to Nepal. He'd hitchhiked from Europe to Asia in the early 70s, and he'd come back because he lost, he ran out of money, and he invited me to go back to Nepal with him. And you can imagine my doctor dad, Harvard-educated doctor dad, was definitely like, of course you're going to college. And I looked at him and I said, I will go to college, dad, just not now. And when you're 18 and you've been waitressing since you were 14 and you've been squirreling away your money... And your boyfriend says you want to go to Nepal, even though you didn't know what Nepal was or where it was, you said yes, or at least I did. So we flew to Munich and hitchhiked to Kathmandu, going through Germany, Austria, what was then Yugoslavia, Greece, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan for three weeks, go figure, before the Russians invaded, (laughs) literally, and Pakistan, India, and Nepal. And it was an eight-and-a-half-month odyssey that was truly life-changing and when I got back after that time, my dad handed me a shoebox 
And my poor dad, can you imagine my parents? It was 1974, and I said, see ya. Oh. There was no internet. Phone calls were 50 to to $100 for five minutes, and you were like, hello, 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 hello. And there were echoes. Yeah. I mean, it was terrible. And he never thought he'd see me again. But I wrote letters. I was homesick. And he handed me the shoebox with the 76 letters I'd written home to friends and family during that time. And he said, these are incredible, kid. I want a book. You've got to write a book. So together with my journals back in the 90s, my, in 97, my ex and I were getting ready to get married. And we went to a trekking company because he wanted to go to Nepal. And the trekking company owner was an American guy married to a Nepalese woman. So their kid was half Nepalese and typed 130 words a minute and was 17. And I told him about my journals and my letters, and he said, oh, my gosh, I'd give anything to have my 17-year-old kid who's half Nepalese experiencing, experience Kathmandu in Nepal through the eyes of someone his age at the time that he and his mother, that his mother and I met. So he transcribed hmm. all that for me. So it was sitting on it literally on an old-fashioned floppy disk, Jack. <laughs> and I thought, okay. I had my photos digitized, and I did a coffee table book for my dad's 90th birthday last May, and I handed him the book. So is it my business book? Is it a bestseller? No, but it's a heck of a coming-of-age story. I read this thing, and I thought, this is me 43 years ago? What the heck? So I've been kind of a wild child. I'm still wild child because I'm. I talk about edgy stuff that a lot of people in this. I'm. I'm. I happen to have grown up Jewish, not not religious, but I think the whole Judeo-Christian society that we grew up in has so many taboos around sexuality, as we can tell from all the scandals within churches, etc. But really, really, if we can start to embrace that and tell the truth about it, and learn what it is that we want and like within this, I think we will have a much better society and a lot a lot happier people. So Yes, agreed. And we're having too much of a good discussion because we still have not gotten to image. Oh, let's go for, oh, okay. You ready? Image. <laughs> so here's the thing. It's real trite but true. You cannot make you do not have a second chance to make a good first impression i don't care if it's a date an interview um wherever you go you know meeting your boyfriend's parents you don't have a second chance to make that first impression and so why not have it be the right impression and the the impression should not be my opinion it shouldn't be i you should wear this jack but let's find out together how do you want people to perceive you in each aspect of your life and so I invite all of us to look at how do we want to be perceived such that we are then congruent with how people see us. And so a couple of tips are, I think of, think of us as the art. If, I, if you've ever, have you ever gone to a, um, had a piece framed, like either a photo or a painting mm-hmm. framed or gone to a museum? Of course, we've all gone to museums. You don't probably, if you've ever seen the Mona Lisa or any famous painting um, or just any not famous painting, you probably don't remember the frame, but you do remember it was an awesome painting. You can remember the Mona Lisa's eyes or whatever, but you don't remember Mm -hmm. the frame. If you remember the frame, it wasn't framed well. The frame was calling too much attention to itself. So even though I'm a style consultant and I have, as my... X used to say, you have enough clothes, you have too many shoes. <laughs> but, you know, even though I happen to really like clothing, um, it's not about the amount of it, but it's about being perceived for who you are. And I, even though I like clothes, I don't want people to remember me for what I wore. I want people to remember me for looking great and empowered and successful and beautiful, if that's what I want to look like. And for you, I would say, you know, for a man, I would say, do you, don't you want, do you want to look successful and maybe hot, but not, you know, not like a pimp or something, but you want to look sexy, you want your clothes to fit, you want to be stylish, but if you're over 30, you don't want to have a fad look to you. That's what was impressive about the Grammys. A lot of these people, like 20, 25 years old, who were winning the awards, and what they were wearing looked like something out of Star Wars, and they had so much ink on their skin. It was just, I was oh, like, God. I felt really old. I was like, my yeah. girlfriends and I were like, oh my God, what was he thinking? You know, just, but that's their look, right? But for us to 
create a look and a couple of tips I would say is if you're um, brown-eyed people, this is not the story for you so much. You can't wear brown all the time. But for those of us who have, I have hazel eyes. So I have a lot of green in my eyes. I have teal. I have gold and brown. And I wear a lot of earth tones because my skin is more olivey. I joke about being green in the winter and brown in the summer meaning my skin is very olive toned. So I need to wear some of those autumnal colors and it'll bring out the color of my eyes. When I wear an avocado green or sage green, people say, oh my gosh, your eyes are amazing. And I'm imagining if you, what color are your eyes, Jack? But you, so you can probably wear blues and greens a lot better than a lot of people can. But when people who have blue eyes wear different blues, people go, oh my gosh, you look awesome. But if they were to wear the like yellows, they might not have people giving them compliments because you want to wear your eye color as much as you can near your face. So I've never again, even heard that before. That's that's fascinating. It's one of the <laughs> psychologies. Have. It's one of the psychologies of color, and I would say for you, it, um, we'd have to meet and I'd have to see your um, coloring. I mean, we could do it on a FaceTime call or a Skype call too. But um, to see your coloring more, to see to see what colors would be the best for you, you can probably do some beautiful, vibrant reds and greens and blues. But for someone who has blue eyes, if you start wearing blues right near your face, it's when you're going to look softer, more attractive. And I guarantee you, if you're in a bad mood. Wear blue if you have blue eyes. And if you have more green eyes, wear some of the greens. Um, But for me, I have to be careful which greens. And it's not a bad idea if you don't know your colors to go hire a professional color person to give you a color chart so you don't make those mistakes and buy a green that somebody doesn't know why they're flinching when they see you, but they're flinching. (laughs) Or think about when if if you're a financial planner, no matter how successful, you probably want to be put together. Like I'm probably not going to hire somebody to manage my money who looks sloppy. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what are they going yeah. to do with my portfolio if they look sloppy? And, you know, I might not be a visual person. I am. But, I mean, let's say someone's not that visual, but they're going to know they don't trust the guy because, his, you know, his shoes are tattered, his, his briefcase old. The briefcase, gentlemen, it's important. If, if you want it to be, a, a, you know, a computer bag or a backpack, fine. But go buy a beautiful Tumi leather one. Go spend $350 for a gorgeous um, leather backpack that you're going to have for the next 25 years. You know, don't go cheap. Gentlemen, if you're going to be going for venture capital money and you don't have money, it's a startup, either don't wear that cheap watch or go get your, or, or spend the last of your money on a Breitling. Or if you're a scuba diver, um, then get that really nice you know, dive watch. That's actually kosher to wear if you're actually a, a diver. But if you're not a diver, don't wear a dive watch. Is this making sense? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And you want to dress according to your strata. I mean, I dressed a guy once who was on his way to do a presentation to Bill Clinton in the Oval Office. And his girlfriend was a friend of mine, and she was introducing me. And I looked at him in horror, saying, what are you going to wear? And he was actually was going to wear a Zanella suit, which is, you know, a $1,000 suit. I looked at him, and I said, dude, you're the youngest, richest man in America, according to Forbes today, because he had a company that went public, but he was such a geek. I said, you need a hand-tailed Italian suit, period. You're going to be talking to the president of the free world. He looked at me like I was crazy, but he went with it, met me at the store up in Sausalito called Gene Hillers. I'll give them a shout-out, amazing store. And he spent about $3,500 on a suit, plus, plus, plus the shoes of this or that, the tailor works till 2 in the morning. We got him dressed. The owner of the store brought the stuff over to him in time to make his flight the next day. And he called me afterwards and said, oh, my God. He said, thank God you did that for me. He said, I had no idea how nervous I was going to be standing with Bill and Hillary Clinton, C-SPAN, CNN, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, but at least I knew I had the right costume. And that yeah. I could be nervous, but they weren't going to go, who's this guy? They weren't going to look me up and down and say, because, again, it wasn't like everybody said, oh, he has a Brioni suit. It was more like, oh, one of the fifth richest, you know, youngest richest men in America looks the part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Karen, thank you so much for being here. This was, uh, I had no idea where it was going to go. Well, <laughs> you didn't know who I was. I just, I just now remembered that you weren't even a scheduled guest, so I literally didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't right. even know who I was going to talk to. But this is really, really great. Everybody can see you at uh, KarenSolomon.com as well. And then, and can I, the best can I offer people? 
can I offer people, yep. anybody who's listening, go ahead and jump on my calendar through KarenSolomon.com or SuccessAppeal.com. Go ahead and jump on my calendar and let's talk for 15, 20 minutes. We'll talk about your wardrobe. We'll talk about your relationship. Let's just have a conversation. I'd love that. Well, also commending you on the best domain I've heard in years, Success Appeal, and that I know somebody who has such a badass domain. I take notes on that. I mean, I, I that actually hits me. So, you know, perfect. Bravo. I love that domain. Uh, I can't believe it was available because <laughs> it should have been snatched up. I've had it a long time before I started I, using that's it. That's what I a figured. Long, yeah. I, <laughs> as a matter of fact, let me tell you the other ones I have for sale. Just kidding. I do, but I won't tell you. <laughs> well, sorry. We're out of time. <laughs> Dina, back well, to you I may studio. just be the first one jumping onto your calendar, Karen. This was awesome. I hope so, Gina. I want to get to know you. <laughs> well, we will be back same time, same place next week. Have a fantastic week, everyone, and thank you so much, Karen. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.